On the southeast coast of China, off the city of Xiamen, which is an island city, there's a small island, Gulan. But in 1901, in a fishing village on this small island, Lin Chaozhi was born. A few years ago, Sue and I had the opportunity to visit uh, Gulang, and I'd heard a little bit about Lin Chaozhi. So I did a little research and uh, ended up writing a short article about her, which I'd like to read to you. Uh, in those days, it was kind of the heyday of Christian education in China. And so there were many small Christian schools all across China. And so even on this small island, there was a, a Christian school. Uh, both of uh, Chaozhi's parents were teachers, and she studied hard and became an excellent student. She said, if boys can get a grade of 100, then I'll get 110. One hot summer day, she was knitting uh, during a break time at school, and one of her teachers came by and said, you have such great hands, you should become a doctor. This comment changed the direction of her life. As she grew older and uh, finished high school, she applied for admission to Beijing Union Hospital and University, which had a partnership with the New York State University School of Medicine. Uh, Chao Zhe was invited to Shanghai to take the entrance exam, and so she left her tiny village, traveling to the opportunity of a lifetime. Well, during the exam, one of the other students fainted and fell from her chair. Nobody moved to help. All the students were so focused on their exams, and they didn't want to take, waste precious time. But Lin realized that as a Christian, she had to help the student. So she helped the young woman to her feet, took her outside for fresh air, got her some food and water, and after making sure that she was okay, uh, Lin returned to the exam. Too soon, the time for the exam was over, and she had to submit it unfinished. As she left, she was not upset or disappointed. She knew she had done the right thing, and she hoped that she'd get a chance to apply the following year. She said later, life is precious. While some things may be considered more valuable than life, than life to a person, nothing is more precious than their own life. Well, unbeknownst to her, the examiner uh, sent her exam on to Beijing with a note explaining why it was unfinished. The university was impressed with her compassion, and they felt that the exam showed that she was knowledgeable and had a good grasp of English. So imagine her surprise when she got an acceptance letter and in 1921 uh, entered the school. Well, by 1925, uh, Dr. Lean was one of only 60% of her class to uh, graduate and be granted a Doctor of Medicine degree from the New York State University. 1932, just seven years later, she became the first woman ever in China to head up a department of a hospital. Uh, she had uh, become the director of obstetrics and gynecology at the uh, Beijing Union Hospital. Well, at first, her male counterparts looked down on her, made her job difficult, but soon she won their trust and respect and began to reform the practice of obstetrics across Beijing and across China. Uh, she greatly improved the health of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of mothers and babies. Thousands and thousands of lives were saved because of her work. Well, Dr. Lin went on 
to hold many high national uh, positions. For example, Deputy Director of the Chinese Academy of Medical Sciences and Vice Chair of the National Women's Federation of China. She frequently traveled to Europe and North America both to lecture and to learn. She was an author, she was a book and journal editor, and she was a role model for a whole generation of Chinese women. She was also friends with Zhou Enlai, and at times argued with him about her Christian faith. And yet, even though she was famous, there are many stories of her going out late at night to help women deliver their babies, even if they could not pay. She often used her own money to buy them food and simple medicine. She said, if they entrust their life to me, how can I refuse that trust, saying I'm hungry or cold or tired? Well, by 1975, at age 74, she was still practicing medicine and overseeing her department. But she seldom delivered babies anymore. In those days, a young woman from Shandong uh, traveled hundreds of miles to Beijing for her help. This woman was pregnant, and she could find no doctor to deliver her baby because she has a heart condition. So the doctors were afraid that she might die during childbirth, and so nobody would take on her case. Well, this, this young woman had heard of Dr. Lin, so she came and asked for her help. And of course, Dr. Lin agreed and helped her to deliver a healthy baby boy, one of the last of 50,000 babies that she had delivered. Well, five years later, she had a stroke, and in 1983, she died. She's still honored across China today with uh, many statues, and I think there's even been a couple of postage stamps with her uh, image on them. Well, later on, this mother and the little boy that she had delivered became Christians. The son went on to graduate from university, and today he works with me. Uh, he works for LDI here in Beijing. He's my friend and colleague. He's married to a teacher, and he has a little uh, four-year-old boy. So I feel this connects me in some way with Chinese history, and I feel uh, that Dr. Lin in some small way has touched even my life. Well, let me draw some lessons from Dr. Lin's story that we can apply to this first uh, passage in Ephesians chapter 2 that I want to look at. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 10 says, For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God has prepared ahead of time so that you should walk in them. I believe that doing good works, or doing good work, I think we could say work or works here, uh, is one of the main purposes of our life. It's not how we gain acceptance with God. This passage is very clear. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself. So this is not how we gain favor with God, but finding meaningful work that does good for others is one of the greatest blessings of, of our life. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt said that uh, finding meaningful work is one of the great rewards of life. Uh, Mark Twain said, uh, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. And so to me, that kind of means the, the, the day you find out this is what I'm here to do. This is what God has for me. Now, often when we're looking for the good work that God has for us, we think about what should we be doing for a career, for a job. We think about where should we be living and serving God. 
And these are important questions. However, most of God's will for our life we already know. It's the way we live our lives and abide in him wherever we are, whatever we're doing. So Dr. Lean was able to find those uh, good works that God had prepared for her. She did not dedicate herself to fame or to riches or to a good life, but to her calling, the calling that she thought God had for her. She first sought the kingdom of God, and then all these other good things were added to her. Now, just like in Dr. Lin's life, where a comment of a teacher uh, affected the whole course of her life, God speaks to us in quiet ways. And I don't know how it is for you, but for me, it's not, often it's not until I look back that I can see, oh, there's where God was leading me, through this comment of a friend, through... Uh, a word in my heart. Uh, I can remember very clearly still the day that God spoke to me. I was driving home to the little house trailer where Sue and I lived, and I realized God wants me to be a teacher. And I said, God, I'm going to pursue this until you close some doors. And he never closed the doors. Um, Dr. Lynn made the decision to help the fainting student not based on the career that she was seeking, not pursuing that work, but doing the right thing. And God took care of her. As an older woman, she was not afraid to take on the risk of helping this mother with the heart condition. So uh, just some thoughts there on, a, on Ephesians, uh, the fir- this first part of Ephesians chapter 2. So uh, maybe, Josh, you can go back to that title frame. And you can see that this morning I want to look at four twos or four contrasts. And uh, the next three we won't take as much time as we did on this first one. So we've, we've looked at the first set of contrasts, salvation and works, and talked about the work, the importance of the work God has for us. Before we look at the next three, I'd like to uh, just say a word about the men's Sunday morning Bible study, and then we'll give some background on the book of Ephesians. So this morning... Uh, the usual suspects, which is only four of us, uh, met downstairs to start our study in uh, Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor. So we meet downstairs in the uh, second grade uh, room. And uh, Chin Yu, where are you, Chin Yu? Right here. Stand up, please. Chin Yu leads us. Uh, he's very historical. He's the first person in the history of uh, CCC to lead a Sunday morning group for more than two years without getting transferred to another city. So he's been doing this for three years. So if you're interested in uh, joining the men's group, just uh, give Chin Yu your, your uh, email address, and he'll, he'll send you out the notes and announcements. And even if you aren't interested, it's fun to get his notes, and you could uh, read the book and join us. So I just want to read a couple of quotes on some of the things we talked about this morning. competitive, win-at-all-cost workplace where I had to manage and lead, I had no idea how to live out God's plan. Thinking of work mainly as a means of self-fulfillment and self-realization slowly crushes a person. We were built for work, and we are freed by it. But when we feel that our lives are completely absorbed by work, 
we must remember that there's a balance between work and rest. So these are some of the things we talked about this morning. And guys, you're welcome to join us Sunday morning, 845 downstairs, see Chin Yu. All right, so that's one advertisement. And now we're going to go on and just a little background uh, about Ephesians before we go on to the next three contrasts. So you can see on the map there that uh, Ephesus is right there on the Mediterranean Sea, uh, very close to the border between Europe and Asia. Uh, Paul preached and taught in Ephesus for three years. He kind of had a seminary going. He worked at the same time that he was there as well, doing his tent-making ministry. Uh, uh, Just before he left, at the end of his three years, there was this huge uproar, this major riot. It's one of the most interesting uh, chapters in Acts, I think, Acts 19. Uh, Ephesus was the... um, center of the worship of the god Aphrodite or Artemis, the god of fertility, and there were these big temples, and many, many people came uh, to Ephesus because of this, and these silversmiths had a great business going, selling uh, souvenirs to the tourists, you might say. And so they were very upset that this guy Paul, for three years, had been teaching that there is one true god, and they were afraid it was going to destroy their business. So there was this huge uproar, and uh, shortly after that, Paul left Ephesus. And then uh, he was very close to the end of his missionary journeys then. And uh, he just visited a few more cities, and then he was headed back to Jerusalem where he would be arrested and then begin his trip to Rome. So I I just wanted to read a couple of verses from Acts chapter 20 that kind of shows his relationship with the Ephesians. I'm just reading selected verses from uh, Acts chapter 20. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And he he didn't want to stop there. He didn't have time. He was headed back to Jerusalem. He wanted to get there in time for Passover. So he sent for them to come see him. uh, And he said to them, Now behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying, bonds and afflictions await me. And now behold, I know that all of you, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will no longer see my face. In everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak, And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and they began to weep aloud and to embrace Paul. And they repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken. And they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. So you can see here that uh, Ephesus was a very important place for Paul, a very important part of his ministry, and he had uh, great relationships with the people. And just that whole parting scene is very poignant to me. All right, back to the, uh, the, the last three twos or contrasts. We're going to read from Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. So Paul is contrasting the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, 
Remember that you were at that time separate from God, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is, to me, one of the saddest or heaviest uh, verses in Scripture. And you see the stark contrast with God's people and those that don't know God. it, It falls like hammer blows, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the promise, no hope without God. Okay, so he's reminding them where he, they came from. And I'm reminding you where we came from. I assume that most of us would have been classified as Gentiles. Uh, and, and so this stark verse reminds us of how far we were from God. As Paul's, uh, and then the next verse is like one of the happiest verses in Scripture, I think. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Wow. So I think as Paul's writing this, he's thinking about the temple in Jerusalem where he's headed. Uh, He's not headed when he's writing this, but anyway, he's headed as he leaves Ephesus. So I don't know how well you can see this, but here's a a picture or, or a drawing of Herod's temple in Jerusalem. That tall building, the Holy of Holies. And uh, in the foreground, if you go back just once, uh, in the foreground there, that's called the courtyard of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were not allowed to go past that big wall into the court of women, the court of priests, the Holy of Holies. The next uh, chart, we see the diagram again, uh, the courtyard of the Gentiles. And you can see those four doorways with the steps leading up to them. Uh, Posted there were these signs which say no foreigners to go beyond the balustrade and the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. Uh, the, the Romans actually allowed the Jews to apply the uh, death penalty to anybody that crossed that line. So as Paul's contrasting the Jews and Gentiles, it's just there's, there's this big wall um, that's separating them from God and separating those who don't know God. Uh, and, and so it's just, it's, it's a pretty big barrier. Uh, so on to the next passage that's going to talk a little bit about that. And so now uh, we've already hit kind of the near and far. The Jews and Gentiles contrast, the near and far contrast. Let's kind of go together. So now we're in the last one, which is breaking down and building up. And the the first part of that is the breaking down of barriers. And so Paul says about Jesus, and keep in mind this diagram of the temple, for he himself is our peace. He himself, a person, is our peace. Who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. So in in God's economy, in God's construction project, the first thing is to break down walls. Jesus came, the most important part of his job, I think, to die on the cross, to give us our salvation. 
but he had to break down the walls first. And then Paul was commissioned to break down the walls between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so the work of Christ and the work of his followers for 2,000 years has been the breaking down of walls, the breaking down of barriers. And we keep putting them up as people. We divide ourselves in so many ways. Culture, religion, language, race, gender, generation, nationality. And Jesus came to break down all those walls. Uh, one of my favorite parts of, about coming to CCC is, is that you don't see the walls as the way we do in our churches in the States, I don't think. We see many of us coming together across culture, across nationality, across uh, language, and worshiping together. So Jesus wants to break down those walls. And then we'll continue. We're kind of going back to near and far. He came and he preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. We've all needed it, the Jews and the Gentiles. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Uh, sometimes, uh, in Chinese, someone might say, Qingwei, what, what is your honorable family name? And our honorable family name is Christian. We are of God's household. This tells us that we are of God's household. What a great thought. But we're not going to camp here for very long. All right, let's move on to uh, God's building projects. The building up. So the walls are broken down and now building up. So we're in verses uh, 20 to 22. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So, uh, God's building project. He has three or four, depending on how you look at it. I think that's on the next slide, or at least the first ones are. Yeah, so the first part of God's building project is just like you see what happens in the villas that are being renovated near where you live or the apartments, is you tear down some walls. And so Jesus wants to tear down the walls that divide us from him and from each other. Then he wants to build in each one of us as individuals. That's not quite so clear in this passage, but it's very clear in the next chapter, that God wants to build each of us as individuals. Then he wants to build us into the universal body of Christ. So he's got a construction project going on inside of you. He's got a construction project going on around the world, over the centuries, building us together into the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then there's another building project that I think we sometimes forget, is he's building us into special teams or groups. For example, the local church. Jesus wants to tear down the walls here, and he wants to build us together into a small piece of this bigger church. He wants to do this in our men's Sunday morning group. He wants to do this in our ladies' Bible studies. He wants to do this in our small group meetings. He wants to do it among the elder board. He wants to do it on the worship team. Break down the walls and build us into these small teams 
that we work and serve together with. So let me just summarize here. Knowing that salvation is by grace and grace alone, let's look for and follow the good work that God has for us to do. We should be humbly mindful that he himself is our peace. And he has brought us from far to near. And he's made the way for all people to become his children. God's people of God's household. Let us open our hearts to God's building project as he desires to break down the dividing walls and build us together into his church universal, into a local church, and into the teams that we serve with. Thanks.